Hello and welcome to Wealthspire Advisors Beer Markets. I'm Bobby Moyer and I have a special guest this this month, um, Chris Maxey from Wealthspire's investment team. He's a managing director and chief market strategist. Is filling in for uh, Sandy Wiggins this weekend, who's on a plane, I believe, right now and and doing some traveling. Chris, welcome. Thanks for being here. Bobby, thanks for having me. I've been a uh, longtime listener and and had the good fortune of working closely with you guys. Um, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully, these next thirty minutes or so. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate you being here. You know, we'll keep it casual. Um, just, you know, kind of hit the listeners up on, you know, what we, what we're looking at in the market, kind of what's going on. But first, we've got to get to our, our beer choices. Um, for any listeners who might remember last January, I was doing a dry January and I'm here again. Uh, so unfortunately or fortunately, I'm, I'm going to be drinking a, uh, three notched on cool non-alcoholic beer. Uh, this is a hazy IPA. Last year, I drank the Athletic Brewing, which is, is a good non-alcoholic, uh, but this on cool is one I had over the weekend. Um, it says, just hold it in your hand and act normal. I think I could do that and enjoy the <laughs> taste of beer, even though there's there's no alcohol. Uh, so I'll open this up and I'll start mine. And Chris, what do you got? Uh, well, Bobby, I, I was doing the dry January for a period of about a week and then decided that that was not going to happen for much longer than that. So I, um, I, I, I do have a, a beer in hand. Um, originally I was going to drink a Hardywood, but I discovered that they weren't actually put in the fridge, so they're not cold. Uh, I had a, a friend that brought something down from Vermont, though. It's a black cat porter from zero gravity. So they were, uh, recently up there skiing and, uh, brought back a few beers, which was obviously very generous of them. And I uh, figured I'd try that. Um, it's, it's pretty good on first sip. Yeah, perfect. Well, well, thanks. That sounds good up in Vermont and stouts are good this time of year, especially with a little bit of the, the cold weather we've had here recently and, and some snow, uh, both where we're at down in Richmond and with you up in Northern Virginia. Uh, yeah, it's the first time in almost exactly two years. It's hard to imagine all the things that have transpired in those last two years. And it's not very often we go through a two year window without any snow, but, um, it is beautiful when it, it finally lands again. Yes, as long as it doesn't cause too much disruption and down here, you know, I'm from Pennsylvania, snow was common. Down here, not as common. But, uh, with that, Chris, why don't we jump into talking a little bit about the markets? And, you know, as we just look at 2023, wrapping that up, it was a really strong year. We kind of hit on this a couple of weeks ago in our investor insights, but the S&P was up 26, mid cap, small cap up 16, EFA up 18. The bonds were up five, the Nasdaq up 44. So, you know, close 23 out with what was a, a very, very strong year. Yeah, it was um, it was a really good year, although I think the devil's always in the details. Right. And as we look at the course of the year from beginning to end, there was uh, there was quite a bit that that happened and it wasn't all in a linear path upward. Right. And and I know that um, you all spoke about that last month and in, in prior discussions, but there was a lot that got captured in those last 60 days of the year, right? And and so as you talked about IFA, you talk about small cap stocks and the performance all, of all of them, most of that really took place in November and December um, of 2023. And so while in totality, it was a good year, right? So much was dictated by November and December's performance, um, which is, is really surprising, right? It's not very often that we see everything just flat right up until that point and then take off. And I know that you all spoke about the role of the Federal Reserve and and making that happen, but um, you know, certainly people would have been happy with uh how that transpired in the last sixty days. 
Yeah, I'll tell you, it was a, a different a different environment for sure. Bonds were down at one point again. We were about to track our third straight year, I believe, that was going to be negative returns uh, before we saw, you know, rates just completely fall off in those last two months of the year. Um, you've had the Magnificent Seven, uh, which were market leaders, you know, those seven me- mega cap companies that uh, were up 107% in 2023, uh, while the other 493 um, only gained 15%. Um, and when you look at that, the market cap added from those companies went from six trillion up to 11 trillion. And, and that's just really hard, you know, to even comprehend the size and, and the magnitude of that move of those couple, co- those couple stocks. Yeah, that's right, Bobby. I, that's one of the things that we've talked about a lot over time, which is this, um, the, the law of large numbers, right? It's very hard for us to, um, characterize and unpackage big numbers, whether it's market cap or whether it's the federal deficit, right? So many people want to focus on the federal deficit and how much debt there is on our, our government's balance sheet. Um, but when you think about that magnificent seven going from six to $11 trillion, that's such an extraordinarily large move. Um, it would be hard for a lot of people to believe that, right? That's bigger than the size of most countries' entire market caps, right? Their entire stock market. And even as you look at small caps, those are typically around three to four trillion dollars in total market cap. So again, those seven stocks just captured the entirety of, um, of the, the, that universe. Um, but there is one caveat here, which I think is really interesting. If you look at where their market cap is today, it's the same as it was two years ago, right? And this is one of the things that we've been talking to a lot of people about, and I'm sure you're having the same conversation. Yes, things were pretty good last year. They ended on a really strong positive note. But if you take 2022 in conjunction with 2023, particularly as you look at equity markets, they're just sort of back to where they started, right? And it's a a bit ironic when you think about it. Those two years in, in totality are flat. Yeah, it was a big move. What Facebook and some of those others down 70% in 22. And then, like you said, you know, get that return back to almost where it was. Um, the other, you know, I guess the other piece of that is even with such, such a, a rise in market cap, the, they're not that expensive when you really look at, you know, the potential. NVIDIA was the big one, I think, in their middle of the year earnings where they just blew it out, might have been up 20 percent after after the earnings, but yet they were cheaper. And it's all on expectations on the chip sales coming in, which is all fine and dandy that, you know, stocks react in, in one way and the stock is up significantly on the expectation that earnings will continue, but will they continue? And that's, that's the trillion dollar question. If you look out a couple of years is to, to understand, you know, if, if Nvidia is going to grow at the, the rate that the market thinks it is, it is a cheap stock and probably a buy. But what happens if there's double orders? What happens if competitors come in? What happens if the landscape shifts, um, with these semiconductor companies, um, and another, another company steps in? So I think that's the interesting part, too, is, you know, they are maybe a little bit expensive, but really to their expectations of growth, I don't think they're overly expensive either. No, I I think you're 100 percent right there. And one of the things that, you know, so many people are drawing uh, parallels between the late 90s, right, and the, the tech bubble that was inflated during that period of time and what then happened, right? What was the subsequent event that came in 2001, 2002, 2003? It obviously was a big market drawdown. Now, whether that's going to happen this time around or not, we don't know, but we do know there's some very stark differences, one of which, as you're mentioning, the the earnings picture still looks quite strong. Cash flow, there's a lot of it being generated. Um, There's also a lot of free cash flow being generated. 
And what does that ultimately translate into? Well, it's the opportunity to buy back shares, issue dividends, right? Do those shareholder friendly and accretive activities that they weren't doing 20 years ago. If you look at so many of the big tech companies in the early 2000s, when they went through that period, they weren't buying back shares. They were having to issue more shares, right? And today that's not happening. You look at some of these companies and since 2012, 2013, they've bought back 40 to 50% of their entire market cap or, or 40 to 50% of their entire shares outstanding. And that's just a, such a massive start difference. Um, I do think it's important that we don't just focus on those seven though. And, you know, this is something we talk about a lot as an investment team. Yes, those seven have been great. They're magnificent companies, really exciting businesses. Um, there is another universe out there, right? It's not, the world isn't just about those seven companies. And even as you look at the other 493 and even moving beyond those out of the S&P 500, the valuations don't necessarily jump off to the page to, to us as um, being particularly expensive. And I know you, you've talked about that too, Bobby, but, um, you know, it's important for us to think about what else is going on and why mo- might those stocks not be doing quite as well. And a lot of that just has to do with the the belief that maybe there is a recession on the horizon, whether that's happened yet or not. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Yeah, I think we're it's fun to watch those seven. They're the cocktail party, to, you know, to talk about. But I think when you're building a portfolio, what it means for our clients is, you know, further diversification. It was just 2022 where energy was the leading sector, maybe even the only positive sector um, in 2022. And, and they're still very strong cash flow, but it makes up such a small part of the S&P 500. You know, healthcare is, is one where there's a lot of opportunity out there that just hasn't you know, led up until this recently, you had the weight loss drugs last year, which, you know, Eli Lilly and then Nova, you know, these companies have benefited from that. And I I think, you know, healthcare is is a big, I think it's the second biggest sector in the S&P 500 and lots of opportunity there with a lot of the artificial intelligence and the growth and the technology that's being, being out there. So I think there's a ton of opportunity out there outside the Magnificent Seven as well. Um, But fun to talk about for sure. Yes, it is. It is a lot of fun. I I know it's a, an exciting uh, cocktail party uh, topic for everybody. <laughs> yes. Well, well, let's look. We'll talk a little bit, Chris, about, you know, 2024. That's the big question. You know, clients get their statements. They're happy with 23. Now that's, oh, man, better year than I expected. What's what's going to happen in 2024? And, you know, one thing that, again, some of these things that we talk about on here are fun to talk about. Some matter, some don't. You know, the Stock Traders Almanac, you know, talks about January, the the Santa Claus rally, the last five trading days of 2023 and the first two of um, the new year um, is typically the strongest seven day market of the year when you look at probabilities of being positive. Um, well, last year or this year, uh, coming 2023 into 24, it was negative, um, which, you know, that is a little bit something to be concerned about. Um, you also have the first five days. You know, looking at how the the S&P trades in the first five days of the year this year, the S&P fell by not much, um, just under one percent. And then you have the January effect, you know, as goes January, as goes the year. We're not we don't know where we'll end up, you know, going into today. We're filming this on Tuesday, January 16th. We were, you know, slightly positive in the S&P and and looking where the market's closing today, probably going to be negative after today um, for the month of January with another two weeks left Um, on one hand. And, you know, 
you as a bull, perma bulls will sit there and, and laugh these things off and just call them, you know, coincidences um, and, and say the market could still go higher. And, and that's probably some truth to that. They're not 100 percent hit rate. Uh, last year, though, when there was a lot of negativity headed into 2023, you had all three of these were in positive. The Santa Claus rally, the first five, and then January was up six percent. And we get, was surprised everybody with a strong market. So, you know, again, we'll see where we end up in the month of January. But where we sit here on January 16th, a couple of these, you know, stock, alm- stock market almanac indicators are a little bit negative. Do you have any thoughts on these kind of uh, indicators? Um, yeah, no, certainly we, we pay attention to those things. I, I was waiting for you to bring up the uh, Super Bowl indicator next. If you could tell yeah. me who wins, uh, whether it's going to be the NFC or the AFC. Uh, yeah. Right. We, we, we've got some forecasts out there around that, too. Um, you know, it, it's it's always, um, you know, the, the way that we think about this is just that those um, indicators are really interesting, but they work until they don't. Right. And what I mean by that is that there are always exceptions. There's always a situation where it was supposed to have happened a certain way and it didn't. And, you know, what we think about over these last 12 months and what we look for in the next 12 months is that, yeah, a lot of things didn't quite play out the way people thought they were going to. And, you know, something we looked at uh, just recently is what were the recession probability forecasts coming into last year? Economists were almost uniformly convinced that a recession was going to happen. And I know you've spoken about that, but it didn't happen. Now, now that it hasn't happened, we've moved forward 12 months. Uh, they're almost uniformly saying it's not going to happen. Right. And so while many of those indicators are valuable in putting together a mosaic and putting together a picture, I think we do need to be careful in putting too much emphasis on any single one, um, particularly because, as we know, the big event, the marquee event of this year is going to be the presidential election later in the year. And what we often see in presidential election years is that the party in power has a lot of interest in remaining in that position of power. Um, One way for them to be able to do that is introduce more fiscal stimulus into the economy, right? We already know the path of the Federal Reserve at the moment. They're slowing down interest rate hikes. They've sort of begun to pat themselves on the back, say inflation is behind us. We've done a good job with that. Um, So that's the monetary side. Now on the fiscal side, what we see happening is that there is student uh, loan debt relief that's ongoing. There's still fiscal stimulus that's coming in the form of first-time homebuyer packages. We also see that there is discussion of other fiscal stimulus through the CHIPS Act, the IRA Act, right? There is a, a lot that's coming through on the fiscal side this year that we need to pay attention to because that's really going to drive where the economy goes. And I think ultimately we're going to see corporate profitability throw th- flow through as a result of that. Um, and that'll dictate, you know, much of the picture on the the, the fundamental side. Yeah. And I think, you know, sometimes you got to take a lot of these things in context. You know, as we closed out 2023, the market ended with nine straight weeks of positive returns, which right. uh, it, it's going back decades, I think, and, and before that had happened before. So that's that's uncommon. And when you get to that, we talked about this in our December podcast was when you get to December and you have you have these gains, you don't sell in December when you have a tax bill that you might have to realize. So you, you get to the first of the year, you get to January and then that's when you sell. That's when you do a little bit of your rebalancing, you know, 
know, at the start of the year. And that, that could be some of the pressure we saw early in the January market. But you also bring up a, a very good point about the, the election. And from a seasonality standpoint, you know, this fourth year of the cycle is the strongest the strongest year of the four-year cycle. And again, how much does that matter? I, I think it does matter for a lot what you're talking about. The incumbent wants to win. And it's very hard to, to win when you have a recession. It's hard to win when the markets, when sentiment is low. But what you also tend to see in election years is the first quarter or the first half of the year tends to be, you know, a little bit weaker. And that's a lot of times we don't know who the candidates are going to be. Sure, Trump and Biden are, are the favorites to be on the ticket, but we don't even know that for sure. So the market's trying to price in. The market likes certainty. You know, it, it doesn't so much care Republican, Democrat, that sort of thing, as much as it cares about what are the policies going to be that we need to price in. And during the first half of the year, first quarter of the year, it tends to be more choppy as you hear a lot of rhetoric. You hear the campaign trail. You're trying to the market's trying to figure out, you know, who who the winner is going to be. And it doesn't know. And then the second half of the year, as you get a little bit more clarity about the candidates and a little more clarity who's going to be running the country, that's when the market tends to be okay as it gets that certainty. You know, that old adage, the market doesn't like uncertainty. And then it gets the price in certainty later on in the year. So while the election year tends to be a positive year for the markets, you know, too far away to, to know too much. And that causes, I think, a little bit of choppiness around the markets during the first half. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And that's the pattern we've seen over and over and over again. The market is a bit of a listless ship, right, for those first six to nine months. And then as you get into month 10, 11, 12, during those presidential election years, that's when we begin to find uh, find the directionality for the market. Um, you know, the one thing I do think we need to keep a close eye on, though, is the inflation story. So, right, as much as I said the Fed is giving themselves a pat on the back, if we do have all of this fiscal stimulus that's now coming back into the economy, right, through those acts and through those other support mechanisms, it, it does raise the potential or at least the possibility that inflation is going to poke its head back up, right, that it, maybe it's not completely done. And I think that's one of those topics we need to keep a close eye on for 2024. Um we like to think that that the worst of the inflation bug is behind us, but I think there's very good likelihood we, we see that tick back up at least just a little bit here this year. Yeah, and a big reason for some of this inflation we're seeing is the supply and demand and supply chains. And with the Red Sea and yep. some of the, the cargo ships that are having to go around or the costs are just starting to increase a little bit, that, you know, th that's another impact uh, on inflation. So, yeah, we, we've got to continue to keep an eye on that. The Fed's definitely, you know, data dependent. Um, I think they are anyway. They say they are. And I, I believe they are. Sometimes they're wrong, um, but they're going to watch the data and make their decisions. You know, currently the forecast calls for, I believe we're at six, maybe seven rate cuts for the market while the Fed's still at three rate cuts this year. Um, you know, on one hand, I don't think we're getting anywhere near six. And if we get six, I think it's because we have a harder landing or a recession and the Fed's got to really stimulate the economy. And that's not good for stocks in that environment. And I don't think it'll be a good year. Um, on the other hand, if they do two or three, all because inflation, you know, continues to stay down and the economy continues to grow, they're just trying to get to normalized rates. I think that is what we're, you know, Goldilocks almost what we're hoping for is slow normalization in rates and then a, a, an economy that continues to grow. Yeah, you're exactly right. That It's almost a, a bit of the adage that we need to be careful what we wish for, because if we do get to six or seven rate cuts, as the market's predicting right now, 
I, I agree with you, right? That That's very likely that we're getting that hard economic landing scenario, and that may not be the situation we all want to find ourselves in. Uh, but that does open the possibility, which I think is an interesting one, that maybe fixed income is still an interesting place to be. Maybe cash is still an interesting place to be. But people need to be mindful of the fact that if rates are going to come down this year, that means all that enthusiasm, all that excitement around having a, a big cash pile or a big cash hoard at their disposal, it's probably not going to be paying as much in 12 months as it is today. So it's time to think about, all right, what do you do with that? Is this a good opportunity to invest that? Is it a good opportunity to think about deploying that? Do you want to continue to hold that cash on a go forward basis? Um, I do think this is a, a reasonable time to make that assessment, though, as Rates are likely to come down, right? We see a very strong indication that's going to happen this year. And, and so now is the time to be thinking about what you want to do there. Yeah, th- th- they're great points. I think you're right. Um, makes a lot of sense. You know, maybe we'll shift gears here, you know, real quickly. Some big news last week um, in the markets. I'm not sure how much, you know, I guess we're following it. We care enough. And that's a Bitcoin ETF has um, been approved by the SEC. Uh, This took a lot longer than I think a lot of people, including myself, thought it was going to take. But, you know, they waited till the the 11th hour, the 13th hour to, you know, approve it um, at the very end. And on the first day of trading, I believe there were 11 um, ETFs out there that were trading spot Bitcoin. Um, You know, Bitcoin's not a big part of our investment philosophy or thesis, um, but we get questions all the time about about Bitcoin and what the approach is. And I think the big the big thought here is wait and see a little bit just to see how this thing trades and, you know, the volumes, the the bid ask, um, you know, that sort of thing. What are your thoughts on, on Bitcoin ETF being approved? Uh, maybe I'll push that one back to you, Bobby. I think you're the the resident uh, crypto expert. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm yeah. just kidding. I I, I don't know that I have strong opinions. I will say you're right. Wait and see. Um, right. You, you never want to uh, be the first person in the door when it comes to a lot of these ETFs as they launch. And the primary reason is that there is so much competition and so much interest in being the winner in this space that it means there's going to be a lot of losers. And what happens is that those funds are going to cl- close. They're going to go away and then you're going to have a concentration or a rush towards, uh, you know, the, the the firms that have been able to raise assets the quickest because it does bring those bid ask spreads down. It improves market depth it improves trading liquidity. Um, the other thing, though, that I do think people need to be careful of is that um, there are certain advantages of the ETF structure that allows it to be slightly more tax efficient than you might see elsewhere in the market. And as it is right now, those Bitcoin ETFs are not able to utilize that structure. And it's called an in-kind uh, redemption. Uh, the, 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 that is going to be a problem simply because it could mean that there are going to be capital gain distributions from ETFs, which people haven't seen historically. It's entirely plausible that gets reconciled at some point in the future. But right here, right now, that's not the case. And so this just gets back to your point, right? Wait and see. Wait and see what happens. No need to rush. Uh, there will be plenty of time to get in, particularly as you think about how volatile Bitcoin is, right? When you're talking about asset classes that have annualized volatility of over 100%, it means that you are going to have a moment when the price is below where it is currently. It's just a very likely outcome uh, given that distribution of uh, returns. And and so there's really just no need to rush and make a decision here. Yeah, and it's like everything, right? We're humans and, and everybody wants this shiny bullet of the shiny thing and, you know, Bitcoin was trading at 16,000 to start 2023. It traded as high as 49,000 um, when it released uh, last week, uh, the, the ETF released. Um, that's 
people see that and they think they could retire without saving. And, you know, we all know investing, saving, it's a patient game. It, you got to be disciplined in the approach. There are no, you know, silver bullets out there. There are no one thing that's going to, you know, win the lottery ticket for you. Um, so, uh, you know, I think Bitcoin, you know, got a lot of stories over the last several years. I'm still waiting for a use case. You know, blockchain is different than Bitcoin, but yet they're they're connected at the hip. Um, but, but how could people use Bitcoin and make things? There's a there's a lot of there's a lot of questions yet to be answered on Bitcoin. And, you know, the younger generation, I think, calls it, you know, this generation's gold, um, you know, still hard to, to understand how this this product um, is is gold and is a store of value. But as, if other people believe it is, I guess it could be. Um, but be careful. You know, there's a lot of price targets out there. I've seen one hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. Um, you know, with that, though, as you, you alluded, which is a good point you know, comes volatility and this this thing is going to trade. And I think with it being an active market, though, I do think that will bring the volatility down over time, which will be good for Bitcoin investors. But that also takes away a lot of what people want of it. And that's the excitement of two, 300, 400 percent maybe in a given year. Um, so, you know, Bobby, I was hoping you were going to tell me there are uh, lottery tickets and uh, the, there are shortcuts to retirement planning. So I could just jump to the, the end of the line here. But it sounds like that's not the case. Huh? <laughs> yeah, we got it. I think you got to, you know. Defer your gratification and, you know, was it Warren Buffett didn't become a a billionaire until he was in his late 50s, something like that, or early 60s. It just takes time. You know, you got to do the right thing. You got to be disciplined um, and, you know, invest and dollar cost average and all those fun things that we talk about that are boring. But that's how you you create and, and get wealthy, I think. And there's no silver easy way to do that. Yeah, I will uh, say one one other important element of this is as you think about the nature of Bitcoin and a lot of these uh, similar types of asset classes, we don't want to buy something just because we think we could sell it for a higher price at a, a given date in the future. Right. And what I mean by that is that you want to understand there's cash flows, there's earnings, there's profitability, there's a business model. Um, there's a fundamental economic reason for what you're investing in to exist and and be something as you know, as part of your portfolio. As you think about um, digital currencies, it, it really comes down to this notion of I can buy it today. I can sell it for a higher price 12 months from now. And I don't think that's the the route to better financial success, better financial outcomes. I don't think it's the route to, uh, you know, the the best uh, and most optimal portfolio building, uh, you know, exercise. So I I just thought I would share that because it is, um, you know, an interesting way to think about it, that we don't simply want to buy an asset that we believe we can sell for a higher price tomorrow, right? The goal is to invest in good businesses, good companies, uh, buy those securities that we think are going to generate positive economic value. Yep. Thanks for that, Chris. It's it's good. We all got to be reminded of that. Um, and, and that's the approach we all take is buying good businesses, good cash flows. Um, and that's that, that's the secret to success. <clears throat> I think I think, you know, we have a couple minutes left um, jumping back into the fundamental picture of where we are. You know, we're again, it's January 16th. Earnings season kicked off last Friday with the banks and some more this morning. Um, just given a, a quick flavor of where we are. Um, from an expectation of earnings, uh, looking at fact sets estimates, as of um, the start of the fourth quarter, the earnings expectations for Q4 were 8%. They have been revised all the way down to somewhere around 1.3%. Um, so this reflects, you know, normal downgrades of earnings revisions. Um, you know, you usually see earnings get revised downward. That's generally about 3.5%. 
this coming down from 8% to uh, 1.3%, you know, how, how concerned should we be about, you know, earnings? Because that's what we're that's what we're talking about. That's how you value stocks, right, is, is the earnings, the earnings growth. Um, but to see a, a revision that much um, in the wrong direction, uh, how, how concerned should we be? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and I, I will um, highlight that this is a pretty typical path, right? Things and expectations, they start high and then they slowly ratchet down, right? And that's particularly true as you get closer to the the, the D date or the moment where earnings are, are in fact being reported. Um, it's, it's certainly something to keep an eye on. I think from what we've seen so far, though, um, earnings season is coming out okay. There's a bit of a mixed bag, as you're mentioning there, some good, some uh, negative. But thus far, things are looking to be okay. Uh, part of what the market is underwriting to, though, is that it's looking forward over these next 12 months and saying the S&P is going to have all-time high earnings. Right. We're going to have record earnings for the S&P. And what we saw happen was if you go back to the beginning part of last year, those expectations were turning negative to the tune of about four or five, six, seven, eight percent. Um, and they slowly, gradually began to pick back up. And that came in the second half of the year. What we've never seen happen, and I think this is important, is a double dip in those earnings expectations. So, you know, that it's a weird concept to think about, but we've never had earnings be negative for one calendar year or that expectation be negative for one calendar year, then rise to all time highs and roll right back over. Right. And and we've never seen that happen. Maybe this is going to be one of those exceptional situations where it does. But yes, earnings expectations are slowing down. Things may not be as rosy or as optimistic. Uh, it, it still looks like we're we're headed in the direction of up into the right. Right, Bobby. And, and, and I think we, we can all agree on that, at least for the time being. Yep. Good points, um, Chris. That was good. I think, you know, we're, we're coming up on, on a half hour. I don't want to make this podcast too long. Um, but with that, you know, did you have fun with us today? Uh, I had a great time, Bobby. And when you can add a, a beer on top of it, that it makes it all the better, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for being here. We really appreciate it. Continue to look forward to continue working with you. Uh, maybe we'll get you back on here again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Bobby. Thanks, Chris. Have a good one. Cheers.